Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jackie A., Gordon S., Brent S., and Luke A. We have a new guest on the show today. Ira Thomas has joined us. Ira is founder and strategic advisor at Tectonic Metals, an Alaska-focused gold exploration company covering four projects in the Goodpasture, Eagle, and Tanacross mining districts. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol TECT and also on the USOTC markets under the symbol TETOF. Ira is also advisor to North Errol Minerals and in addition, CEO and director at Lucara Diamond Corp. Ms. Thomas, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, Ira, let's start off here. I want to get your view on gold at these levels and your outlook for gold over the next few years. Gold obviously is the good news story for the mining industry um, of late, and I'm certainly glad to have some exposure to it. It is a very um, volatile world that we're all living through right now, and I think that this really positions gold to continue to outperform so I'm very optimistic about the, the future of gold, um, particularly over the next several years. And Ira, what is your view on other precious metals here? And also, if you would, uh, any view on base metals? Listen, I, I think that, you know, my outlook generally for mining and for all commodities is quite positive. I mean, I do believe in, in global GDP growth, perhaps not at the pace that we've seen, um, in recent years, but um, you know, there's a number of important things happening uh, around the world, not the least of which is this big move towards decarbonization and new technology and the drive for innovation. And all of that requires metals. And so I think that you know, our, our industry is actually in a very uh, strong position to be able to, um, you know, provide the, the the metals that the world is going to need for that for that big transformation. So, you know, overall, I think precious metals will will continue to do well in a, in a in a world that is is somewhat volatile as we work to get through this pandemic and and get the kind of global economy back on track. Um, but again, as as part and parcel to that, this uh, this drive towards new technology, I think, is going to be an important impetus for you know mining uh, minerals in relation to technology. And Ira, you mentioned decarbonization for a moment. Uh, what's your view on energy going forward, and what do you see as a successful group of energy sources coming out of that effort to decarbonize and reduce uh, carbon footprint? Yeah, well, listen, thank you for asking me that. And, you know, with one of my other hats, I am a director of Canada's largest energy company, which is Suncor. So, you know, have been following uh, the energy space very closely over the last, you know, 15 years. And, and you know, though I do think decarbonization is going to be an important part of the global agenda, 
uh, that doesn't mean that there is there is no place for oil. And in fact, I believe that the future energy mix is going to evolve and obviously include other sources of energy, um, particularly on the renewable side, um, that will become more and more important. But I think that you know the reality is that we are going to need a contribution uh, from from all energy sources, of which I think uh, oil will still be an important part of that. And I think oil. In particular, coming from Canada, where we have some of the best standards with respect to environmental stewardship, is going to play a factor as well. And of course, you know, even within the oil industry, there is a move to decarbonization. So, looking at ways to improve the overall, you know, carbon footprint of every barrel produced, and to look for ways and means, including incorporating new technologies, to drive that carbon footprint down. And Ira, I need to ask you, just because we're on the topic of energy, what's your position on nuclear power? You know, I am pro-nuclear. Um, I actually started my career in uranium exploration, and my view is that it's uh, of the cleanest form of energy available to us, and I believe that it can be produced safely, and I believe that it is, um, it, you know, a huge opportunity to drive down the overall carbon footprint of the planet. I read your thoughts on diamond demand here. It's a tough business and how that demand might increase as a result of more people seeking to exchange currency units for hard assets that could also include diamonds. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great point. And you know, what I would say about the diamond business, it has been difficult in recent years. However, I'm extremely optimistic about diamond prices going forward. Uh, what we're seeing through the pandemic is really interesting. And, you know, obviously um, spending on certain luxury products has is, is gone down dramatically. But in the case of diamonds, um, although we saw, you know, a real wobble at the beginning of the pandemic as we all, you know, tried to sort of understand where these markets and consumption was going to go, what we've seen is that diamond prices have actually recovered nicely and I guess this, you know, makes a lot of sense when you think about consumer spending habits. Um, it, it's obviously pretty difficult to spend money on, on things like luxury travel right now. We are spending more and more time with our loved ones and our, and our families. And so when we think about gifting um, for those loved ones, um, diamonds and diamond jewelry actually factors, you know, very high because these are you know, not only traditional forms of gifting, but, uh, you know, gifting that is, is generational and, and gets passed down. And, and so diamonds and diamond jewelry continue to be sought for life's most important commemorative moments. And, and we're seeing that sort of rebound effect uh, in demand. Um, in particular, we're seeing a lot of demand emerge out of Asia first, but even the U.S. right now is uh, is showing some some pretty strong numbers. So I think overall diamond jewelry demand is positioned to do well. We also see some of the fundamentals about our our business really improving, and and that is you know diamonds are rare, and they're getting rarer. Um, there are a number of large world-class diamond mines that are um, heading towards their end of life. Uh, the Argyle Diamond Mine uh, shuts down in Australia later this year, and we're also seeing a number of the big mines in Canada start to to go into their sunset years. 
So the overall supply and demand fundamentals for diamonds actually looks um, really strong and will continue to strengthen over the next uh, 12 to, to 36 months. And then back, I think finally, uh, last but not least, onto your question about diamonds as a commodity. Uh, we are seeing interest in diamonds as a commodity, particularly as, as gold has had such a, a huge run up and, and diamonds really have not. Um, we are seeing investors that are interested in purchasing rough diamonds uh, simply as a store of, of value. And when you think about um, you know, diamonds versus gold, diamonds, of course, are much easier to transport. They weigh a whole lot less. There's a lot of concentrated value in a single rough diamond, and, and that makes them, I think, a, a desirable hard asset. So we do expect interest in diamonds to continue to grow. I certainly agree with that, Ira. I think that it's a small sector. Uh, there's a few companies that are noteworthy, so you have a lot of good potential there. And then also from a wealth protection standpoint, absolutely, I think you have a, a lot of potential and continuing potential as history has showed us with diamonds. Well, take us back, for some of the audience maybe isn't uh, familiar with you, talk about what attracted you to the natural resource sector in the first place, and then maybe cover some of your past successes, uh, perhaps some of your failures, and also lessons learned over your time in this business. Sure. Okay. Well, I don't know how much time we have today, but I'll try and recap that all in a very succinct way. Um, I've been in this business a very long time. Uh, it's more than 30 years now, but in reality, I kind of grew up in the business. My, my father is a, a mining engineer and a very successful mining entrepreneur in his own right. He was the founder of a company called Aber Resources, uh, which would go on to be involved in the staking rush for diamonds in the Northwest Territories. And ultimately, you know, we partnered with Rio Tinto and Disguivic, which is Canada's second diamond mine. So my father, uh, you know, introduced me to the world of mining from a very young age. He started out uh, working in mines, but, you know, very soon realized that his passion was exploration. And so in my youth, I was really fortunate to be, you know, dragged around to remote places looking, looking for minerals um, in, in the high Arctic, um, amongst other places. So I had exposure at an early age that... Um, it took me to university where I studied geology and, and then ultimately um, got involved in the industry initially in gold and then uh, was afforded an opportunity to join the Aber team in 1992 and get involved in, in that amazing project, which, you know, to see a project go from staking right through exploration and ultimately to the discovery of one of the world's richest diamond mines was an extraordinary experience so it was uh, something that I was you know very proud to be a part of and and then from there um, I, I decided that I wanted to to get involved in further diamond exploration ventures and I formed my own uh, company in in 2000 with my business partner Catherine McLeod Seltzer that was a company called Stornaway, and we went on to discover a number of new Kimberlite districts in northern Canada, and, and we ultimately acquired then an asset in Quebec, which would go on to become Quebec's first diamond mine. And I guess when, when you speak of learnings, I would say that the, the Stornaway experience for me was, was a definite learning. I always have you know, had the view, or I did have the view up until that point, that the toughest part of our business 
was actually finding an economic deposit. And a diamond deposit is, is a true needle in a haystack. Um, less than 1% of all timberlites that have diamonds go on to become economic mines. And so it, it's truly a, a tough proposition. But what I learned at Stornoway, um, you know, after having acquired what we felt very confident would be an economic deposit, is the journey in taking that deposit through advanced exploration, full-scale feasibility, and ultimately building and developing that deposit. That journey is equally tough, if not tougher. And in order to do that successfully and to make money for your shareholders is 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 not an easy thing. And you know, in Stornoway, our our learning was, you know, we we ultimately did develop a mine with Stornoway, um, but we did it at great sacrifice to, uh, you know, our, our shareholders. Um, at the end of the day, there was a billion dollars spent on that project. And, you know, with the prevailing market conditions and the structure of that financing did not result in our shareholders making a lot of money, despite the fact it's become a very important mine. It employs a lot of people uh in in a great jurisdiction um it is something that i think of a lot as i think about you know new ventures and new opportunities and that really is around share structure and, and making the right decisions um to advance those those projects and sometimes the answer with with these projects is simply to wait for the right cycle to come along and that is something that we we really didn't do with stornoway uh, in any event, um, I left Stornoway before um, before that mine was ultimately put into production to uh, focus on a company called Lucara, which I also formed with business partner Catherine McLeod-Seltzer, but we also had a third founding partner on that one, and that was Lucas Lundin. And, you know, Lucas had been involved in, and is involved in, you know, you know, all commodities around the world but he'd never up until that point been involved in diamonds and we convinced him that there was interesting opportunities in, in Africa and we formed that company to explore and, and look for advanced mineral deposits in Botswana. That ultimately led to the acquisition of what is called the Kuroi Diamond Mine today, which we're really proud to be able to say has evolved into a, a really high margin diamond mine. It's been in production for eight years now and it's become renowned for its production of very large, high-value diamonds, including some historic finds, uh, the 1,109-carat Lissetti Lorona, which at the time of its discovery was the second largest diamond in, in world history. We uh, subsequently found an even bigger diamond, um, which is called the Sowello, which means a rare find in Setswana, and that weighed in at a staggering 1,758 carats and is in fact the second largest diamond now in, in recorded history. And we have partnered with the world's leading luxury brand, Louis Vuitton, to, um, to basically um, polish that diamond and ultimately create a, a bespoke collection of of diamond jewelry that will be marketed exclusively to Louis Vuitton customers. So that's kind of the diamond journey. And then of course we have Tectonic, which is not the last but not least. And Tectonic really stems for an adjournment in my diamond career where I, I had a basically a, a four year stint with a company called Kamenak Gold. Um, this was an opportunity after leaving Stornoway 
where I, I just really couldn't resist. Um, the geology looked so compelling. They were in need of a CEO. It was right in my backyard. You know, I live in Vancouver and, and the Yukon is, is literally a two hour flight. And I was really excited and privileged to, um, to have the opportunity to step into the Coffee Gold project, which um, had already been discovered, but they were really looking for someone now to take that project forward to an advanced assessment and ultimately into production if warranted. And, you know, over four years, we were able to grow that into a multi-million ounce high-margined uh, gold project, which was subsequently acquired by Gold Corp in 2016. At that point, we ended up selling the project, and the Kamenak team went off to look for um, for new opportunities, and, and hence uh, Tectonic Gold was born. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that, Ira, um, but going back just for a moment to Botswana, you've kind of had some jurisdictional diversity here in your career. Talk about a place like Botswana or a place like Namibia as kind of really, in my view, tier one jurisdictions in Africa compared to back, you know, classic home jurisdiction, Canada. Talk about maybe where you'd prefer to work if you like them both, maybe some things that the audience can listen to as far as, you know, differences in how you approach these projects. Uh, Maybe just speak to the jurisdictional differences you've experienced. I do view Botswana and Canada as both kind of tier one jurisdictions politically. We like to refer to Botswana as as the Switzerland of Africa. And I think what's um, what's really unique about Botswana is it's the only Southern African nation which was never colonized. It was a British protectorate protectorate for a time, but it was actually never colonized. And it they held their first um, independent democratically elected president, Suretsikama. Um, and what was important about that is it was at the same time when diamonds were discovered in Botswana. And so Botswana basically has been an owner in its natural resources since since day one. They are a 50% owner in the Debswana Company, which is 50-50 De Beers and the government of Botswana. And they have been the beneficiary of more than 50 years of, of diamond mining. And, and Botswana is considered, you know, the, the top kind of geological jurisdiction on the planet for, for, for diamonds. Uh, Russia and Canada, of course, are, are are close, but Botswana has the highest value diamond deposits on the planet. And they've used the revenues from diamond mining really to um, invest in their country. So it has some of the best road infrastructure. It has benefits from good hospitals and schools. And one of the other really great things uh, about that is that if you come and visit the Karowi Diamond Mine, um, you'll notice that 98% of our workforce hail from Botswana, born in Botswana, educated in Botswana, sometimes educated you know, in, outside of Botswana, but 98% of our workforce comes from Botswana. And in fact, our managing director who happens to be the first female managing director of a diamond mine in Botswana, uh, was born and raised in Botswana and educated in, in Botswana. So it is um, a country that really understands the importance of mining um, and that mining has been very important in their economic development. They are a country that's looking to diversify uh, from mining and attract other businesses to Botswana. Um, but it's a very pro-business country. Uh, we have a 
great relationship with the government there. And yeah, I, 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 it's been a very positive experience working in Botswana. And you know, countries like Namibia, you know, have a similar infrastructure and similar history with mining, where they have a long, a long history and have long recognized the benefits of mining. And and those are the kind of jurisdictions that I certainly like to target. You know, we continue to look for ways and means to invest in Botswana and working with the government also to help them. What I mean by that is we have an extremely active sustainability program in Botswana where we are working with the government to identify opportunities for businesses that you know will uh, and can survive beyond um, the, the finite life cycle of any mine. Take us back here for just a moment. Let's talk about uh, Tectonic. You and Tony Retta are founders. What brought you to yeah. start this company, Ira, and focus specifically in Alaska? Well, you know, there's a number of things. I mean, we had um, such a, you know, positive experience, I guess, with 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 Kamenak and taking that project forward. Um, you know, we built a really solid team. Uh, Tony was vice president at the time. Allison Rippen Armstrong was also vice president at the time. And you know, we put the right skills and people together to get that project to the finish line. I mean, we really had aspirations to to build that project and use coffee as the foundation to build a mid mid tier gold company. Having said that, we're a publicly traded company and we had an offer that was really compelling and we obviously have a fiducial responsibility to our shareholders first and we recognize that the offer coming from Goldport was a was a very credible one that would realize you know value for our shareholders you know immediately and and so we made you know the right decision to sell the project. But I think with all of us, we felt, you know, learned a lot uh, with coffee. We've learned a lot about the importance of building a credible team. You know, we went and and sought out, you know, strong skills in in all areas of the project, whether it be engineering or geology uh, or sustainability. But, you know, we we sought all of those skills and we felt that, that, you know, through that experience, we also gained a lot of, uh, of uh, I guess, experience and understanding um, in our discussions and negotiations with First Nations in the Yukon. And we decided that we really wanted to take that experience and 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 really turn it into something more and to 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 really take that experience and and roll it into a new opportunity and build on it really. And that's how Tectonic was really born. And the tagline for Tectonic being a shift in the game. It really is about taking this team with a track record of value creation and what we think is really kind of an innovative approach to the business and risk management and to, uh, you know, use that experience to, to target similar geology to coffee and because we really feel that there's a lot more to find not only in the Yukon, but also in Alaska, and of course, that is has become our our real focus uh, in the short term. Uh, is Alaska? We uh, were able to put together some really uh, impressive land packages in Alaska. We were able to uh, partner with one of Alaska's largest native regional corporations, which is Doyon Limited. And yeah, we're super excited about where uh, where we can go with that. 
And it's really about, you know, taking the same approach as we had it at Kamenak and, and taking it to the next level with Tectonic. I wanted to ask you about that. And certainly the relationship with uh, Doyens is definitely pretty substantial. You guys have there for the land package and the relationship. Do you guys see this as, as really the same strategy? Get a discovery, uh, expand it, de-risk it for a buyout this time, Ira? Or are you absolutely fixed on, let's, let's take this and potentially find something. And let's, if we if we have a development scenario that's economic, let's develop it. Or will price always dictate uh, how you guys approach this time? Yeah, listen, I think we've always got to act with, you know, our shareholders in, in mind and we've got to do, you know, the best we can to maximize the value of, of the work that we're doing. So, you know, I happen to believe that, you know, we can add a, a, a lot of value by taking a project through to the finish line and building out a portfolio. But as you know, exploration is extremely high risk and, and we have to manage that process and we've got to be open-minded. So I would say that, you know, we continue to add as much value as we can all along the way. And, and you know, our, our end game is to, to try and build this into a serious, you know, mid-tier gold producer. Um, that is our ambition. Things happen along the way and we may get another offer that we can't refuse, but our ambition is, is to grow this into something bigger. Yeah, and going back to coffee for a moment, Ira, do you think coffee will get built soon if gold prices stay at these levels or move higher? Uh, what do you think the priority is for Newmont now to build this out? I think the challenge is that, uh, you know, coffee, you know, Newmont's got a, a lot of competing priorities right now, I would say. And and coffee is is a, a, of a certain size that, you know, probably puts it lower down on the totem pole than it would be if it was in a smaller organization. So it is my sincere hope that coffee gets built. I think it's a no brainer. I think it's such a high margin opportunity and this is the right, you know, gold market to develop it. And we think it has, you know, there's been so much work and the, you know, the, the feasibility was completed. There was a lot of advanced stage work that was undertaken. So we think that, you know, getting it up and running and in relatively short order as an, as an open pit heat leachable project is something that could be done. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see kind of how, how it ultimately comes out with respect to, you know, new, new months kind of priority list uh, going forward. We, we, we do understand that they continue to be active, but, you know, certainly we'd love to see that project moved up in the list. Good pipeline project, uh, certainly for, for both even a new month and, and definitely for the mid-tiers out there in the space that are looking to build out their pipeline. Ira, you know, going back to, you know, some of your work and uh, with the community relations that you've had to deal with back at Kamenak and also now with uh, Tectonic, um, you know, you've been in the business a while and you've, you've worked through a lot of these types of relationships, you know, terminology like corporate social responsibility, CSR, uh, the new buzz term environmental social governments or ESG, you know, it seems that these terms seem to change over time, interest kind of comes and goes. But we've seen that good management teams going back for decades have always practiced this and realized that these matters were always important when developing projects to be successful. What's your thoughts on ESG today? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I don't think this is new for the mining industry. I think we have been living those values for a very long time. 
but I do think um, there is much greater awareness. And I don't think that that's a bad thing, um, but it is increasingly the focus of investors, the large investment funds who you know, want to ensure that they are supporting businesses that are responsible with respect to their environmental stewardship, with respect to their social commitments, and of course, with respect to, to, to governance. So, you know, we certainly um, at Kamenak and now through Tectonic have, have long recognized they're really the importance of being transparent and the importance of, of, of you know, this, this isn't to us, and I don't think it is to, to most mining companies uh, any longer. This is not a box ticking exercise. This is a core value of how you build your business. And we do it because um, at the end of the day, it will make us more successful. And I've certainly seen that at Lucara with our approach to sustainability. We've had, you know, we've been eight years in Botswana and, and we're, we're constantly um, called upon and called out by the government for, for being um, a strong community sponsor and, and a company that is really focused on its sustainability efforts. And, and you know, so it, it is a, a sort of a core foundation of everything we do. And with Tectonic, it's, it, it's no different. You know, we, we see that as a fundamental, you know, pillar or, or value. Um, and we have Allison Rippen Armstrong on our board as a testament to that. She is someone who, you know, I've had the, you know, the great fortune, good fortune of working with for, you know, many, many years. But she was our vice president of sustainability for Kamenak. And, you know, she brings more than 25 years of experience, you know, working. Um, she's trained as a biologist, but she's worked for First Nations. She's worked for governments. She's worked for large mining companies. She's worked for small mining companies. And so it is really through, you know, her lens and, and her experiences that we've, we've learned so much. And, you know, Allison is always advocating for, you know, early engagement on these issues. Um, and if you don't engage early on these issues, whether it would be collecting baseline environmental data or going to meet your communities of interest, your, your, your local stakeholders, um, you inevitably or invariably are going to pay a higher price down the line. So it's really about, you know, making sure that you're you're um, embracing those in those aspects of your project early, and in incorporating uh, sustainability into your everyday thinking on how you do business. Fully agree with what you say there. I think that's the right way to approach it and, and to approach it early in that early stage uh, for, for any company that, that's in the mining business. Well, what do you see as the biggest single challenge that the natural resource business faces over the next decade and how does it get mitigated? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think it, it's really... I think my biggest, I would say, concern is just is you know creating a regulatory en environment that um, allows projects to proceed in a in a timely way. I think you know what, and this is often kind of remarked upon by I know large companies and large company CEOs. You know the time it takes from discovery through to development can be you know, up to 20 years. And, and that's not all because of regulation. I mean, it, it's just a time consuming process to go from a discovery through the actual, 
you know, physical assessment of a, of a, of a deposit to actually determine if it's economic and then to kind of work within all of your communities of interest to determine if there's support to take that project forward and then ultimately to raise the capital and build that project. So there's a, these are long time horizons. And, and so, you know, I do feel that they, they've continued to stretch and, and sometimes for good reason, but I feel that we can upheld, uphold strong environmental standards, but at the same time, you know, create a, a more streamlined environment um, for for permitting and regulatory for approvals, particularly in a, in a place like Canada, where where the timelines have stretched out pretty dramatically, um, but also in North America in general and and on all around the world. So I think you know, for us, it's really about ensuring um, that we do a good job of, of uh, explaining to, to people all the good things that we're doing around the subject of ESG and how important mining and minerals is to kind of the green revolution that, and, and, and to you know, going after things like climate change and, and fighting uh, you know, the increase of carbon into the atmosphere, you know, mining has a, a pivotal role to play. And I think we've got to do a better job communicating that to people. And then I think it's really incumbent upon the industry to work with governments to create, you know, a process which can streamline the, the timelines and, and ensure that we have the most efficient process possible to allow these projects to ultimately get financed and to, to put into production. So, you know, we want to reduce risk for that investment and we want to make sure that we are communicating the importance of mining to the planet, quite frankly. I think that there is a prudent way to go about it. And we've definitely seen that. I think that there needs to be a red tape reduction that is excessive, uh, that, that doesn't need to be there. And I think that there is a way to efficiently and prudently advance these projects with a process, with a set of standards that uh, make sense. And, and I think that we've seen a big variance across different jurisdictions that you go to. There is a substantial variance, but the end result quality is the same. I think that should be considered. And I think that is a very important subject over the next 10 years. Talk just briefly about the other members of the Tectonic team. You mentioned a couple of them, and, and under Tony's leadership, their importance to the projects and the success. No, listen, I'm, I I think Tony has assembled a really impressive team, and and you know for me, I I really wanted to support Tony. He is someone who has spent the last you know almost 20 years kind of in this business. You know, came out of the more of the investment side of the business and ultimately spent, you know, he was the longest serving member of the executive team uh, for Kamenak and is often heralded, uh, you know, the only finance person to have really earned his stripes as a geologist. And what I mean by that is, you know, Tony is someone who's super passionate about geology and though he doesn't have a technical degree, he is he's in there looking at at the geology, learning all he can from his team of geologists. He's in there plotting up drill holes, and and he's become a, a very accomplished amateur geologist through that process. So he is he is not a CEO that kind of sits at the top, sort of managing you know the finance and and kind of managing the business from thirty thousand feet. Tony is someone who's definitely down there. Uh, kind of in the trenches as well. He understands all aspects of the business. And, you know, during our time at Kamenak 
and um, you know, over that period, he he really demonstrated proficiency and you know qualified as as a CEO for Tectonic. And for me, what I really wanted to do um, as we kind of went on in, in different directions, and I got back into diamonds through Lucara, is I, I really wanted to think about that next generation. I think it's so important in our business as we look around and we look at the demographics and we see a lot of gray-haired people, you know, we have to encourage that younger generation. And that younger generation, um, in turn, um, you know, needs to be supported. I mean, these are the, the young leaders that really are going to uh, be responsible for taking the, the mining industry uh, into the future and to, you know, creating a new, a new legacy. So Tony has put together um, a really qualified technical team. You'll notice that, you know, in terms of directors and founders, that there's we have uh, Rob Carpenter, who is uh, also uh, a big part of the Kamenak Brain Trust. He was the original CEO. He's a brilliant geologist who's had a long career um, in in Canada and 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 elsewhere around the world and it was instrumental in Kamenek's early success. So Rob uh, came in as, a, as an original founder and remains a technical advisor. We have Kurt Freeman, who's a director and a founder who, you know, we, we fondly dubbed Mr. Alaska. He's got uh, a long history in the jurisdiction in which we're working and has been instrumental in providing us with, you know, key geological insights and advice as we've, as we've sort of worked to, you know, navigate the Alaska landscape. We have uh, Allison Rippin Armstrong, who I already mentioned, who is, is so strong on the sustainability front and has got a wealth of experience that's be, become invaluable to Tectonic. And then our most recent directors are uh, Mick Roper, who hails from Agnico Eagle, who is again another seasoned uh, veteran of the mining industry, who's who's seen an awful lot um, in his many many years with Agnico Eagle, and and comes in as someone who really understands what we're trying to do in putting together this portfolio of, of geological prospects and ultimately financing them and, and, and taking them to the next stage. So we're really delighted to have Mick. And then finally, last but not least, uh, Mel Benson, who is just an extraordinary human being who I've had the great good fortune of working with on the Suncor board for more than 15 years. So Mel Benson comes from um, Alberta comes out of the oil industry, but he is he hails from a small indigenous community in northern Alberta. And so he brings a wealth of knowledge and information, not only uh, as someone who's who's been uh, involved in the industry for more than thirty five years, but also as an Aboriginal indigenous leader. Uh, so we're really delighted to have uh, someone uh, with Mel's credentials on our board as well. And then below that, you know, you've got a, a small but really confident team of people. Our vice president of exploration, Eric Beitenhouse, uh, was with us through uh, through coffee, and is got a huge enthusiasm um, for exploration. Uh, loves what he does, and he's a, he's a PhD geologist that cut his teeth on the Coffee Gold project, and the knowledge and experience that he's developed um, through all of that is 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 and has been invaluable as we've worked to, you know, cross the border into Alaska and search for similar 
you know, coffee style deposit across the border. And Ira, talk about the uh, the tectonic projects just for a moment. Which one do you see, if you had to pick one, which one would you see as having the most potential for a discovery and from there potentially delineating an economic deposit? And then talk about the timeline to realize your guys' strategy at Tectonic. Is this a company that you guys are looking to advance over a five-year period, 10-year period? What's your view on timeline? Well, you know, having just talked about timelines, it it obviously takes a considerable investment of time to get a project from discovery through to development. Um, and you know, I I don't have a favorite. I'm 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 going to say that right now. I think what I really love about our portfolio is that it really brings together different types of opportunities that all have kind of a slightly different trajectory. They're at different stages of development. So if I'm going to pick one, it's it, we're going to be here for a while as I as I mull that over. But um, if if you think about the Good Pasture Mining District, you know it's obviously anchored by Pogo, and so the, you know you've got some some kind of great real estate there with uh, good infrastructure. And then if you think about Tibbs, um, you know we've got some exciting high grade gold intercepts there that basically are, are completely uh, open and that's only 35 kilometers from the Pogo mine. So we, we consider that, you know, overall it's, it's really underexplored um, and there's good potential for a whole high grade uh, gold discovery and, and what is undoubtedly a first world jurisdiction. So a uh, leaning towards uh, towards Tibbs, but I also think that, you know, 70 mile is, you know, it's a whole greenstone belt uh, also um, in a great jurisdiction. So, you know, we think there's multiple opportunities there for, you know, load gold style deposits. And, you know, I, I think that the other, you know, really important aspect of, of what we're doing with Tectonic and what we've been able to do to this point is that, you know, we have four high value projects. We've got really innovative expiration and, and production lease agreements with uh, one of Alaska's largest native regional corporations. This provides a huge amount of certainty. And, and you know, we talked earlier about the timeline from expiration discovery through to development. I think that with these types of agreements, we have the potential to really streamline the timeline ongoing from discovery to development um, because we do have certainty uh, about the process. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's been a busy period for, for Tectonic. You know, we've moved the, the company through the drill stage on which resulted in, in three separate discoveries. We've actually taken the company public continued to, to move the project forward step by step, which is really, you know, what it's about. And Ira, talk about what your plans are, you know, going forward. Um, I'm assuming you plan to stay in this business and, and you're going to continue to go after the initiatives that you've uh, continued to be a part of. Maybe just talk long term about what your plans are, where your focus is going to be going forward. Sure. Well, you know, listen, I'm actually becoming more and more selective. So I'm staying really focused on, you know, just a few things. I obviously have um, a big responsibility as the CEO of Lucara, and I am determined to get that company uh, moving forward with a number of exciting growth initiatives. We're expanding our mine underground, and we've also developed a new technology in relation to the diamond supply chain, which we're pretty excited about. So we're going to continue to push that agenda. 
Um, and then, you know, outside of that, it's, it's, it's really kind of my, my focus on gold and, and tectonic is, um, is where I put, uh, you know, a big chunk of money uh, outside of diamonds. It's, it's into tectonic and uh and i do support you know my my family group of companies as well my father's involved in in projects um around the world he's involved in tin and he and my brother are involved in gold in british columbia they've got an exciting discovery there with west haven so i continue to support them through those efforts but really that you know my my focus is is very narrow it it really is on lucara and what we're doing there and then uh, my work with tectonic um and as an advisor to north arrow and west haven what would you say to investors you know who are looking at tectonic considering a company like tectonic at this stage uh really with about a 15 million market cap at current price levels what would you say to potential investors who are listening I guess going back to a comment I made at the outset and, and, the, and the tagline that Tony is off uses with Tectonic is that, you know, Tectonic really is a shift in the game. And, and what we mean by that is that we're going to take everything we learned at coffee and through the Kamenak experience and basically create uh, opportunities for our shareholders that we don't believe any other company can or is doing as 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 well as we are. And it's really our whole approach to partnership, a whole approach to the, the share structure, having, you know, one of Alaska's largest native regional corporations as a, as a large shareholder, and really taking that geological knowledge and putting it to work in similar geology, uh, underexplored uh, across the border in Alaska. And I, I think that Tectonic just represents a company that is, is prepared um, and experienced and and committed to taking these projects forward, to advancing them, to adding value, and ultimately with the big aspiration of putting these projects into production and growing a serious Canadian gold company. Yeah, really interesting proposition that you have here with Tectonic and, and certainly a company that we've followed uh, since it was listed. Best way for investors to reach out to you and the company? Uh, well, certainly to reach out through uh, Tectonic, through Tony Retta and his team, tectonicmetals.com for our website. And any inquiries can come to info at tectonicmetals.com. And we'd be happy to engage with anyone with questions. So thank you very much. Ira, this has been great to talk about Tectonic and talk about the different things you're doing in the business. We hope you'll come back again soon. It would be my pleasure. Thank you very much.